to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. Uh, today we brought in our friend Michael Crawford to speak with June Millington of the band Fanny. Um, Fanny was an all-female kind of uh, blues-oriented 70s group. Um, some of the tracks are a little less in that bluesy vein, but uh, man, they were just incredible. They opened up for everybody back in the day, um, you know, Bowie and whoever was popping off at the time. Um, and some of their later material was recorded by uh, Todd Rundgren. So they have some really great accolades. And uh, but I mean, the basics of it is just that all four, I think, yeah, it's just four of them were just incredible players. I mean, there, there's this mm -hmm. video that has been going around of their performance, I think maybe like in the early 70s, on a uh, this beat club show, um, and man, the video went viral recently, and a lot of people are like, "How have I not heard of this band?" And they're kind of that band for a lot of people. They, but then for people who were around during those times, they're like, "Yeah, we were wondering why more people hadn't heard about this," you know. Um, but yeah, you, you, uh, Eddie, you were chopping up this episode, getting it ready for today. How, how'd it sound? I haven't even had the chance to hear it yet. It's really interesting. She uh, she's basically hasn't stopped since she was a, a young person making music in the seventies. Um, she and her partner started a music institute, which is like a an actual like summer camp where like people go and stay oh, and cool. they they teach you know young women uh, to play music and to write music and record music and stuff, uh, which is really interesting. Um, and she also kind of touched on the fact that they weren't huge in the seventies. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like that's kind of a travesty, uh, but she doesn't seem bitter about it. She, she was mentioning how kind of everything is like a matter of timing and while, you know, a lot of the, the most important people knew who they were, you know, maybe just the timing was just off by a split second, you know, right. to get that kind of serious huge radio play that some of the other you know 70s blues rock bands got totally yeah I, I you know i was new to it after i saw that video that i was mentioning earlier and i dove into it i mean i think there's like three or four records and they're all just killer records uh there's a song called conversation with a cop that the chord progression is just really neat and the lyrical ideas are amazing uh and really made an impression on me um, but yeah, they're just an awesome band worth, worth diving into and getting to know a little better. Um, and I know June has been doing, I think at least weekly, um, an Instagram live thing where she's playing songs and talking to people and just, you know, like a lot of people are doing right now. Um, so that, that's definitely worth checking out if you've got the time. Um, but yeah, uh, I think Michael did a good job with this and it was great, uh, having June on the show. But maybe we'll just dive into it and let you guys hear it. Yep. All yep. right, enjoy. Thank you. Is the school still open? Are you still teaching at all? Well, you know, of course, it's evolving. We just had a huge meeting with all our instructors. Uh, we had a Zoom meeting, uh, instructors who teach at our rock and roll girls camps, of which mm -hmm. there have been five each summer. 
So uh, we're adapting. We're going to do it virtually. Um, and so we're adapting. We're, I mean, when I say virtually, I am including the recording uh, camp as well and, uh, you know, a couple of the instructors uh, in that. You, you might know who they are. They are um, uh, Leanne Unger, who teaches at Berkeley, Roma Barron, who's uh, best known for being Laurie Anderson's producer. She's been on our board for a long time, since mm-hmm. the beginning, really. And... Um, uh, Le- uh, not Leanne, um, Leslie Ann Jones, who's, who, you know, runs, uh, Skywalker. So they're top of the food chain kind of people. And so they're gonna, they're gonna do it virtually. So it's, it's a, t- a shift time, but I feel really safe here. And we're going through this period, um, you know, carefully and safely. So hopefully it remains that way because we need to pass this whole thing on. So, mm-hmm. um, you know about IMA, right? Yes, I'm, I'm sort of familiar. I actually know I know of you analogously, I guess, because I'm familiar with the Girls Rock um, project. Um, and I was looking into your history and everything and learning about it. Yeah, Girls Rock is really great. Uh, I think we're the only one that has a program that where the girls stay. So it's, it's, you know, adapting to not having the girls here on you know, on campus, so to speak, we have 25 acres, uh, you know, a barn with a performance center and two recording studios, you know, mm-hmm. adapting to their not being here is, 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 you know, a shift, but we're doing it. Yeah. And yeah. then we'll have to change again later on, so. Have you come up with anything more, I guess, concrete long-term to try and make up for the lack of access to these, to like the physical property um you know it's going to start who knows how long it'll go on but i guess it might be of interest to people who are doing lessons from home for everything now too you know well we're adapting like everyone else so there's a number of platforms and it it comes down to you know what is the sound quality like and what is the you know sort of flexibility of the platform like so yeah we had a zoom meeting today with everyone but uh there's a lot of uh more or less, um, you know, investigating into other platforms as well, like uh, how will they allow us to do breakaway chat rooms? Can any of them allow us to play at all at once? Yeah. Uh, which the answer is no so right. far. We're not there. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think the first person who's going to make that happen is going to really clean up, but it's not there yet. So we're, you know, we're adapting and... and um, you know, investigating everything, so pretty much cutting-edge stuff. And uh, another person on, on our board is the manager of Lake Street Dive. Do you know that, that group? Um, I know the name. I should. Yeah, yeah you really should. <laughs> They're pretty incredible. Um, but they just did a, uh, uh, you know, a virtual, what they, they called a variety show on... Uh, you know, on Facebook and mm-hmm. I, 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 which other platforms, which was pretty successful. But, um, you know, we're not going to do that platform because it's, it's you know, there's there's pluses and minuses to each one. So we're mm-hmm. all just groping our way in the dark, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you'd still have to get people together. You would need engineers and then the tech's just okay. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, we have a lot of engineers accessible to us, but... 
how to make it work is, is the thing that we're we're going to practice on each other, actually, get together in small groups and uh, practice the, you know, the moves and how it works, and you have to do everything slower and not as long because people don't have the same, you know, have the attention span, really, and they're, the kids are, are uh, online doing their virtual schooling, so they're already tired from all that. You know, what are the legal issues? You can't just, well, you shouldn't just go off in a room with a teenager, you know, so all that kind of stuff right. is all stuff that we have to uh, very much consider. Are we recording? We are. Oh, okay? okay. Yeah, yeah, so we've already okay. started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I figure we'd roll right into it. Um, sure. Yeah, I had um, a couple of random questions, and then we can kind of move in any direction if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Um, one was about uh, being in a band with your sister. Uh, we started uh, our band basically, uh, I think, towards the end of, end of junior high. So um, we arrived here in 61. I was 13. The eldest was 7. Gene was 12. We were playing acoustic guitars. We got here, but just barely. We'd gone from ukuleles to acoustic guitars. And um, I started writing as soon as I got them. Uh, acoustic. It just was something I knew was like sort of was going to save me. Was the thing that totally enraptured me. So the first song I wrote was called Miss Wallflower '62, and we, the two of us, did it with two other girls whom we met at school, and we did Miss Wallflower '62 at the variety show um, in early '62, and to our great surprise, it was a hit. So from that, what we learned was that it, it could connect us to society because we were totally out of it. We didn't think anybody wanted to be our friends, et cetera, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, teenage stuff, but also we were bicultural and biracial, and that's a very special category. A lot of people are either biracial right. or bicultural. We were both. So music connected us to everyone. People would stop me in the hall and go, I really like that, and then just move on. I even know their name. That was enough for me. That was enough for us to realize, oh, man, we really, you know, we're going to keep doing this. So we did, and Gene had a boyfriend who was in a surf band. He played bass, so we would hang out, um, you know, at the gigs at the bowling alleys and so on. And we had met a couple of other girls at the Hootenannies. We were playing Hootenannies who started to sing with us. And then a girl called us from a rival high school that had just been built, and she said, hey, you want to play drums? As it turned out, she was really incredible. So um, we asked our parents, and my dad said, uh, I, you know, I don't think so. Who's going to take care of you, you know? But my mom went around him and um, went to the music store with us and got Gina bass and an amp. And That's I already awesome. had an, a, yeah, yeah, I already had a small rig that actually my dad had uh, bought for me at a, at a pawn shop. But, uh, I, you know, I got a bigger guitar and an amp and a small, and a PA. So, and with this girl, we were basically ready to rock and roll. So my mom would drive us to her house, and we would rehearse in their living room. And the first song that Gene learned on bass was, Still in Love With You, Baby. Are you familiar with that? I know the chorus. Still, okay, all right. So, you know, that has a really rollicking, rolling bass part. That was great for her to, you know, for for that to be the first song that she learned. So. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we had both been playing acoustic guitars, and Kathy, the drummer, said that we flipped a coin to see who would play bass or play guitar. And I, you know, I was able to keep my guitar position. I guess Gene was 
a little steamed, but it was really good that she, you know, because she's such a great, one of the best bass, bass players in the world as far as I'm concerned. So um, from there, we just started to do gigs, you know. Um, we would lie about our age in certain cases. Teen centers weren't even invented yet. So we would play at bars. We would play at school functions, you know, like that. And it just was a, pardon me? It's all good practice. Oh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, every gig is good yeah. practice. You know, we learn how to become a band, which is, you know, people don't really think about that. You know, how do you become a band in late 64 and you're four girls and no one's ever seen? And it's like we were dropped down from another planet, literally. People just couldn't, A, they couldn't believe it, B, they didn't think we'd be any good, you know, so on and so forth. But as we got good and better and better, and because it was during the Vietnam War, we would play gigs like at the Air Force bases and stuff like that. And we, you know, when when people would jump up to get on the dance floor, that's when we knew we were doing a good job, you know, mm-hmm. that we had to learn the song properly. properly. So, well, to just think of all the songs that... that <laughs> There were hits then, you know, Louie, Louie, You Really Got Me, mm-hmm. uh, Motown. Uh, were you doing covers? Um, or? Oh, yeah, 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 that's all you could do. You, you yeah. were doing the songs that people were dancing to, you know, that was the gig. It and wasn't danced, to express you know. ourselves. Nobody was, no, the, first of all, they never seen girls play, so there was no room for us to express ourselves. We just had to get people on the dance floor, and that's what we did. So that's the start of it, you know. That is the actual um, ground zero of everything that happened after that. That was the Svelts, which became Wild Honey. A lot of personnel changes were getting older. I go to UC Davis. I go to UC Berkeley. We end up in the Atherton area with some girls who had been in other girl groups, the uh, California girls and the Freudian Slips. And a lot of personal changes, and then we become Wild Honey. Alice joins the group. Mm-hmm. Alice DeBure ends up. Mm-hmm. I am a fan. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, so we really lucked out. We went from Kathy Perry, our first really great drummer, to Bree Berry was her, her uh, maiden name, who became is now Bree Darling, to Alice DeBure. And uh, then we all ended up in L.A. Um, after we got signed a reprise. Um, we did that famous or infamous um, bit at the Troubadour in late 68, and by May 69, we were in L.A. with our record deal, and there were still a couple of personnel changes, but uh, the first album came out in 1970. So between late 64 and 1970 were a lot of gigs as we were learning our craft, and we were serious about it. You know, I think that's uh, what really set us apart. Uh, the fact that I played with my sister, so if somebody quit the band, we kept going no matter what. And mm-hmm. Believe me, there was a lot of limping along. Yeah. But th- that is, is really central to how we kept going, that we were sisters. We didn't even really talk too much about it, like, hey, we have to keep going. We just look at each other and realize, well, we have, we have to find somebody else to play that rhythm guitar part or keep singing with us or whatever, and, and, and it just evolved it was tough it was really really tough but the times that were good were you know ecstatically good so we were kind of hooked you could say you know we were addicted to it in a good way Mm -hmm. so you were and then at this point you had done all this and you were what 22 22 no 
no. Which at which point are you talking about? Um, so I was thirteen in nineteen sixty one. So no, we no, started by, off um, by the first album. Let's see. Um, by the first album, nineteen uh, seventy. Yeah. Yeah. You're so. actually right. Yeah, I just couldn't imagine that I was already twenty two, but I was. You're oh, right. That's, mm-hmm. And so this is all before, and you're only twenty two. Um, that's. Well, that's old for today's standards, yeah, don't you I guess think? You're right. <laughs> I mean, but by that time, Lowell George and I were already really good friends. I met Skunk Baxter. He was my guitar repairman. So every oh, you know, a- every few months, just huge things were happening to me that I didn't know were huge. Right. You know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. To me, they seem huge. Um, yeah, they are in retrospect. You know. And uh, Lowell still shows up for me. He shows up here. You know, he makes me do things. He lets me know he's around. His cock's still a really good friend. You know, John Hall I met uh, a few years later through mm-hmm. Bonnie Raitt, actually. You know, John Hall from Orleans. Right. And then after I, I quit Fanny and I ended up in Woodstock, um, there was John Hall, you know, with Orleans. And they were incredible. So, actually, I was exposed to so many great bands whom, um, you know, I, I learned from and by the way, Steve Gabb was a friend of mine in, in Woodstock. He had a band. Oh, that's right. I forgot. With Tony Levin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No way. Uh, so. Yeah, way. So it's a, you know I have brushed wings with so many people because I'm really intent on learning all the time. So whomever I could go see, I could go hear, I could go hang out with, mm-hmm. I could watch them the hurt rehearse and et cetera. And I and I actually would bring my huge tape recorder around and I would tape a lot of bands. So there are archives here at, at IMA which. Mostly is my personal archives. It's pretty incredible. Tape, tape. You know, like um, White Elephant. Have you ever heard of White Elephant? Probably not. Um, but Steve Gadd is in that band. Yeah, yeah, actually. Okay, yeah, yeah that's why it's ringing a bell. So tape, tape, yeah. like handheld yeah. personal recorder, or did you go through the board? Huge, huge TAC tape, huge. Okay. But, you know, I taped everybody. I, I, I taped, um, uh, who was that great piano player from uh, New Orleans? Uh, black guy. Yes, I taped him in New York at a little club. You know, he was perfectly, he was delighted. You know, those are all in my archives. So what I'm saying is I, I not only listened, but I studied American music. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am from another country. You know, the, the most rock and roll tune I heard there was probably Jailhouse Rock. You know, yeah. I did not hear the blues. I did not know. The, I didn't know the blues existed. I didn't know that there were Jews in the world, for example. I didn't know what that was. Uh, there was a lot I had to catch up with in my teens. Um, that actually is a great segue. So I did have a question about, I was going to say, approaching, I guess, um, rock and roll and American music in general as a bit of an outsider in that sense, that you didn't grow up here. and um, Oh, a total outsider, right? not just a bit, a complete and total outsider, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Which in a way is an advantage, you know, because it gives you the view from the outside. Right. And I was you've gonna, been... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, please say more. Um. Well, you know, it's it's uh, uh, the American musical genre totally fascinates me. It ties in with everything that's going on politically here now. You know, it's the diversity of people who are forced together. But, for example, slavery totally plays into the American uh, books, uh, right, let's call it. Uh, be, the yeah. potato famine of Ireland plays into the book, you know. Um, 
it's really incredible, and I study it from that standpoint. Like, who contributed? How did they do it? You know, and when Fanny was touring, every chance I got, I'd go to little clubs and listen to those musicians playing in those juke joints. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. So um, I made... I made it a point to study American music, and not just what was popular. Of course, we loved, you know, The Letter, for example, or To Serve With Love. We did those songs live when, you know, when we were in training. But to to begin to study it and, and to be able to be traveling around the country in my early 20s and really, really soaking it in was, you know, in a way, just a great privilege, I, I realize now. And I mm. took full advantage of it. <laughs> you just miss out on so much about, and I take for granted so much, being, I'm from South Carolina, so I take I take for granted that American music can not just be music, right? Because yeah. I grew up well, with it, so. Yeah, <laughs> you so, know that, that beach music, South Carolina right, beach right, music. Oh, yeah. I'm a girl watcher! You know, that's great stuff. They play in my head constantly. It's torture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we should exchange lists. You know, I would love that. Oh, yeah. Stuff that I'm I take for granted that I hate. To... Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, for example, even just uh, studying the intro to um, Chain, Chain, Chain. Mm-hmm. Well, how out of tune is that guitar, but how great is it? Yeah, but you got you that know? beautiful microtonal stuff and all the yeah, exactly. beautiful stuff that happens. Yeah. Yep, well... In that vein, what do you think would be like essential for me growing up in South Carolina, liking rock and roll, that you might have noticed sort of as an outsider or anybody else, you know, that, that is just like well, absolutely crucial? Well, what year? Years. Uh, that's really important. 70 through you know? 75. Something that people oh, just yeah, don't. I mean, because you guys, yeah. for me, are, yeah. are that. I saw, I, to be frank, I found, about, found out about you through the, there's an account called Dust to Digital. And they posted your beat club performance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I was, and all the comments said the same thing. Was, How does you know? Why are people not talking about Fanny all the time, all the mm-hmm. time? And I yeah. couldn't agree more. And so, um, yeah, I was hoping you'd talk about something like that, where it hits you like a ton of bricks, and you think nobody knows about it, or mm-hmm. well, um, nobody did know about it, and. Uh... You know, a lot, everything is timing, not a lot of things. Everything mm-hmm. is timing. So for the longest time, you know, you couldn't get arrested. When I say you, I, I mean all us women in the band and me and Jean. You know, fortunately, um, I got involved in women's music through playing with Chris Williamson starting in 75, and I guess I had been waiting for that. So that provided me a way to play, make money, and be educated about feminism. That was really important as well, mm-hmm. you know. But um, it, the time, the timing of when songs come out, for example, 65 to 70, very much the Vietnam War, and, uh, you know, drugs, uh, flower mm-hmm. power, um, everyone's minds getting explode, uh, getting yeah, exploding, and then people start to die. Okay, so now there's a damper on the whole thing, and now comes James Taylor. You know, mm-hmm. completely different. But he was kind of a bomb for the wa- those waters. So now you're getting into 1970. You know, you have the band, for example, and um, you're getting towards 1975, and then a feminism and disco hits. At the same time. And so for me, that's a really 
uh, important time. In fact, book two starts in 75. Because of that, because of rock and roll in my personal life, totally careening into um, women's music and feminism, which, which was another huge mind blower for me and helped me grow up a lot. It helped me uh, connect spiritually with you know the, the entire world and give me hope that oh maybe I will live through this you know because it's so music. hard to understand everything you know you're half Filipina chick <laughs> playing electric guitar and you're deaf in one ear and actually you don't have e- equilibrium on one side but you don't even know that yet you know so there was a lot of stuff I had to con- negotiate so by seventy five yeah that was to- totally exciting so disco wow, yeah. hits. And then by 79, AIDS hits. Now starts a whole other thing. You know, the audience is dying. <laughs> In fact, I didn't think of it that way, yeah. but there were a lot of cases in San Francisco, for example. So, you know, so now you hit 1980. What happens around that time? And I, I because Slick was my brother-in-law at the time, he played on John's album, John and Yoko's last album, um... I, I saw some of that. I was in the studio with them. Uh, and, but you have this AIDS thing happening, which the president won't even never said that word, AIDS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you're getting to about uh, you know the mid '80s, and and it's that kind. That period is kind of like that's when uh, we started IMA '86. So for us, that was sort of turning away from the turmoil of everything that was going on, and just kind of turning towards, okay, what can we do to help, really? And because music was such a huge lifeline for me, that is, in fact, what we are dedicating ourselves to doing while I still continue to create music and write and record and all that kind of stuff. But my life has turned, my face has turned towards, yeah, how can we pass this on to the girls? And actually, at our camps, one of the most important things that happens, which we didn't quite realize when we started this whole thing. And by the way, I may have been doing programming for 10, 11 years before we could even start our rock and roll girls camps. It's, most people don't know that, but we had a place out in California, then we moved here, and then we bought this property, so we were, we were able to start our camps. You know, so there's a huge... Uh, Evolution, but the teaching part and um, girls starting their own bands out of camp has turned out to be one of the most valuable things we've noticed that yeah. has happened. You know, it's not separate from their lives. You know, it's integrated into into their lives. And we've had girls from our first camp who are recording and, you know, graduated from Brown or Wesleyan or, you know. Mm-hmm any number of uh, colleges. So it's really moving forward, and we really are passing uh, the baton. And that feels really, um, you know, it's so, it so provides me with a lot of satisfaction because it's, it's totally ongoing. And um, I can still do my own productive songwriting. I mean, for me, inner the inner work continues, mm-hmm. but the outer work is really important, and we're getting to do it. It's, it's um, you know, I'm honored. You've done all this and still through music, right? Um, mm-hmm. You've got to do all, I mean, it's just... Basically, you know, people, I want to do it all, and I'm making it happen. And through music, people, you know? people tend to treat, uh, and a lot of even people who are successful treat, treat music or, like, it's kid stuff sometimes, I guess. I think it's, yeah, it's so incredible that it's been able to be woven into your... Everything yeah, one of the, the hardest things for us, 
and sometimes it's still difficult, but the, the world or the people who have brushed wings with me or with IMA or and with IMA, um, they realize it's changing the kids' lives. Yeah. And that's, that is actually the proof in the pudding. You know, but, uh, we, we very rarely, for example, we very rarely apply for grants, you know, mm-hmm. from, you know, huge institutions because they think of music as, they still think of it as something that's like, you know, it's just like something that their kids do or something. It's not, it's not life essential. Right. And, but when you think about these life threatening times, you realize, how important music is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, music is a way to to, um, to actually uh, spread communication. It's, it's a tell-your story, you know, like uh, when Belafonte had those hits, you know, Deo, for example, was was spreading a story, spreading a, a feeling of what was going on, you know, talking drums and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, I find it to be tremendously gratifying to keep learning and relearning that how integral to our lives it is. Music is totally integral to our lives. It's hardwired to our brains. In fact, if you do music, you're automatically smarter because your left and right brains uh, are, are uh, you know, talking to each other. They're integrating. And I tell the girls that at our camp, you know, congratulations for choosing this camp because you are actually going to be smarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Motor it's mechanical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's pretty profound. And I love that part of it. In fact, in our meeting today, which is our, our first m- meeting about doing this, these camps virtually, which will not last forever, but it's going to change um, forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were kind of mourning these special times that we've had with the girls here. Let's say teen camp, and it's 10 days, and they're here the whole time, eating here, sleeping here, hanging here, you know. And uh, one of our younger instructors uh, was grieving. You know, she said, you know, even the times when they're, like, being bad and they're, like, you know, talking over you or talking about something, so you realize those are their good moments. You know, they're they're actually um, shifting, or they're causing they're they're actually creating in those moments, and you may not even notice it. You know, so for us instructors, it is a huge learning experience also to see how outside of us the creative process happens, mm-hmm. and we get to be a big part of it, which is really nice. I, I kind of see my life as a, a series of sort of astonishing circumstances. You know, um, the fact that, for example, just randomly we did gigs with the group Stories. Are you familiar with Stories? I, knew, I know the name again, yeah. Okay, they had that hit, uh, uh, Brother Louie, where the guitar part, I was crazy about it because he was playing in unison with, with the string part. So the solo was guitar and strings. Okay, that may not sound like such a big deal, but we got to do gigs oh, with them, great. and I got to know Steve really, really well. What a great player, what a great guy. So that just that one little, you know, spinoff point is really big for me, you know, because I got to see it in real time, in real life. I got to become friends with him and so on, you know. Um so the the kind of experience that I have backing me up, 
there's not a whole lot that can can rattle me anymore because, dude, I had that. I have mm-hmm. all those little jewels in my necklace, shall we say? You know, mm-hmm. and no, I got stories. Know, yeah, man. <laughs> Listen Thank to you. that solo. It's incredible, you know. Thank you. Or the fact that we did a, a gig with Sly and Family Stone at the Lake Tahoe Teen Center uh, just before summer of 68. So that would be three or four months before we went to L.A. And it became oh, friends without, wow. without, you know, and he would, he was recording at the same studio while recording. It was parked in his, you know, vehicle, his trailer or whatever out front. It really is a true story. So he... Yeah, he'd be in the trailer, and then he'd come something. in, he'd pop, he'd record, he'd be all stoned, then he'd pop into our studio, drop on the floor, hang out, do a few doobies, you know. That's all part of my <laughs> experience and my, um, uh, I mean, it's a really good thing that I cannot get into drugs too much, because it was everywhere, you know, because my equilibrium thing, I, I can't oh, yeah. drink, I can't really do too much. So I, I, you know, I had a self-protection, I had a governor, you know, and my my car and my toolkit built in when I when I came in into this earth, you know. So that had to have been a major agreement between me and my ancestors or whatever. So it's allowed me to leave, live through all these these experiences and because I was so shy and I was an outsider, I didn't say that much. So I watched. Mm-hmm. You know? There is a lot and, to watch. Um, yeah, and and uh, fortunately, I put experiences into my body in a different way that other people do who have hearing in both ears. I mean, I think that really is true. And I remember, I can pull it out of my body, you know, exactly how it felt, exactly what someone said, you know. The first time we met David Bowie in Scotland, I mean, in, in Liverpool. Yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. What's, yeah. Exactly how it felt. I mean, you're standing there, the door opens, and you see the room. You know, you see the people in there, and you hear the buzz. I remember it exactly. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's incredible. <laughs> no, it's a lot to take in. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. We were moving fast, man. Fast. You know, but we did gigs for, like, Elliot... Randall's Island, Elliot Randall, was so incredible and so nice, you know. That kind, you can't learn that in college. You can't learn that in college because we all had the shared experiences of being backstage and knowing what that felt like and blah, blah, blah. So when Mm -hmm. we got together to jam or hang out or whatever, we were in that other world. I mean, all the Beatles I met at different times, I know they were were delighted with the fact that we knew what it was like. Exactly. He played. You know, there was a certain respect there. Um, and even meeting John, I didn't meet him until Double Fantasy, but even meeting John, he requested to Slick to bring me down because he wanted to meet me. So that's pretty cool, you know? That's quite the compliment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start playing the guitar, you wonder one day, right? Maybe you're something <laughs> like that. Um, oh, yeah, that, yeah. That actually brought... you. I'm reading your Wikipedia, or I, I have been reading your Wikipedia page. Oh, God. You, oh, no. Really? I don't no, even no, no, know no. how much of that is true. You should get my book, really, you guys. Okay. You should get Land of a Thousand Bridges. Go to IMA, go to the Help Out section, and under that is merchandise, and my book's right in there. It's the Skip only place you can stuff, get it, huh? but that's the only thing that has the actual truth. Everything else is more or less, you know, always truncated. But go ahead. Go of course, ahead. yeah, yeah. Tell um, me something about myself. <laughs> You teach music now. You know, music is also taught in um, 
the university level and like you were saying, you can't get those sorts of experiences in the classroom. It must be a very thoughtful teaching style that you don't that you can adapt all this to um, to what you do at IMA. You do or you don't see a thoughtful teaching style. Oh, you, you do, and I was saying it, it. It must be. You said something on where is this? You lived with Anne at the college for two years and learned a lot about institutional thinking. Oh yes, yeah, that was very. They're very very valuable. That's one of the reasons I fell in love with her. I also fell in love with her mind you know, and, and what she knew. It was a whole complete package. Yeah, so, but, so you do institutional yeah. thinking, and then you know, you have this, you know, very, very unique experience and style and, and views and values and all that stuff that you bring to the table. Um, did you, I have did to tell you, you sometimes they're appreciated that? and sometimes they're not, you know. But let me give you a perfect example. Um, at camps, let's say in our first five years, um, I was trying to teach guitar to every all the girls, you know, and then I realized, actually, maybe I should break it down to those who want to do it, but I did a class called Field of Steel in the mm-hmm. evenings for lead guitar players, and that actually worked out for a while. We had quite a few girls who um, who really took to that. Oh, yeah, yeah that's exactly <laughs> what I had in mind. Um, so you split, you split the instrument No, but wait, wait, let role, me finish so... my comment. Sorry, let me yeah. finish my comment about... Um, how sometimes um, people don't see what I'm doing because I really am coming from the rock and roll end of things, which is basically during camp or all of life, I'm jamming with the universe. So I do riffs and I see what works. You know, sometimes I work, sometimes I don't, and many times they lead to something I never knew could happen. So here's my uh, example. Finally, one of the, the, the teachers, the vocal teacher, was very well respect, respected, and she's still with us. She uh, was in the meeting today. She, she said, you know, June, why do you wait till like, Thursday to start writing the group song? Because I kind of assigned myself to see if I could write the closer, you know, which has to be kind of up. It has to have a certain kind of a thematic thing. It has to involve all the girls, blah, blah, blah. And she was kind of, you know, uh, kind of down on me. You know, it, was, it was a criticism. And, I, you know, I had to think about that. Was she actually right? But no, what she, what she didn't have was my rock and roll jamming experience. Mm-hmm. And so what I have to do, I mean, at 14 camp, they arrive on Friday. And so the first day is, you know, getting to know each other, playing each other music, uh, uh, they get introduced to the PA system, and they just start chatting and doing their thing, you know. So, all right, Saturday, first day instructions, three, ma- three main instructors. Sunday, hey, a little bit more. By Wednesday, I'm starting to feel a song start to happen. But I have to wait. I have to get to know these girls a little bit. I can't just say, oh, well, we're going to write a song together. I don't even know them yet. They don't really know me. So by Thursday is when it starts to lock in, but then it becomes that sort of rock and roll, oh my God, this show is Sunday. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Thursday I bring the song in and I say, hey, maybe we can do something with this. I can't say we are writing this song. You know, Friday we have to actually decide what songs we're doing. Friday night is pretty intense and Saturday is getting ready for the dress rehearsal and approving which songs I have. So by between Thursday and Saturday night, it's not a long time to finish the song and get all the girls mm-hmm. to play. Something that's bumpy, jumpy, like, uh, well, I'll give you an example. There's not a song that we wrote at a preteen camp, you know. 
a lot of the girls come in and it's do da do da, you know, da da you know, all kind of mellow, and they're trying to sing like the the hits of the day, and there's like an affectation to the voice, etc. I said, well, baby, you know, this guitar played Magic Carpet right many times. I, I did buy it from um, the guy who was a replacement guitar player in, in Steppenwolf, oh, wow. and my Les Paul, my Les Paul played. Uh, Magic Carpet Ride, a lot of times. So I said, you know, there's the sound that my song, my guitar played. Let's listen to it, because maybe we could do it. You know, they, it only has three chords, but it has that groove. You know, I mean, if you can grab onto that, you've got that feeling for the rest of your life. You can always reference how that felt in your body, you know? So those are the type of things that I bring in. It's like you can't force them to do something with Pep. They say, oh, well, let's do something with Pep. You know, you have to seduce them. But then you have to find that that actual article that you're going to seduce them with that's going to work in a very short period of time. So my jamming with the universe, uh, you know, sort of approach really works in circumstances like that because I just wait for my ancestors to tell me. It's not that I'm making it up. I'm waiting for their angels and my angels and all our ancestors to drop drop it onto me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we could uh, do. Yeah. And it worked. Believe me, it totally worked. And uh, we, because one of the girls brought a trombone and one of the girls brought a horn, we created like a horn, you know, solo section. And we just brought the house down. It was actually, on a technical level, horrible. But, <laughs> it was within the context of that song, and it was, like, amazing for their parents and, you know, the barn full of people. So mm-hmm. those are the type of things that I bring into bring to the table. I just kind of know what's going to work, and even if they kind of do it not so well, it's still, like, totally exciting, and you can play that up, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so well, it's a, like, that's my expertise. Experience. Yeah. I don't think they do that in college. No, they absolutely don't. Yeah, <laughs> but see, they don't have that experience of having seen Steppenwolf at the Whiskey A Go Go. Okay, and you can so, tell them how it feels, and you can pl- you can show them the guitar. You can play the song. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, the guitar plays that I don't really play. It just takes off. It's amazing. Yeah, the conduit. I mean, that approach. is a very special guitar. It's lot. It's got a lot of spirits embedded. You know, so that's really cool. Yeah, that <laughs> also checks off my. Uh, Weird piece of gear question. Unless you have others. I'm not a mm-hmm. guitarist, but I do like uh, weird piece of gear stories. Yeah, okay. Um, but or we can or we can count the Steppenwolf guitar as checking that one off. <laughs> Believe me, it's endless. <laughs> right. So what is the question? Do you have one? Oh yeah. Do you have a favorite weird piece of gear story or um, you know, gear's oh, gear? Oh, I but... missed I missed what uh-huh. sorry, yeah. Um, but you you answered it with that one. If you have others, or we can check it off. Well, I don't know if that was a weird piece of gear uh, story. Let me, uh, give it a second here. Um, huh. Well, you know, we did record at Apple, and right away, if you bring up uh, their main engineer, who was Jeff Emmerich, um. You know, the thing about him was that he was not afraid to go after anything, you know, go after a sound or whatever. So in that case, um, 
uh, the rhythm part, the Hey Bulldog, was my, gu- my guitar was in the hall. It was not in the same room I was in. Now, I know that that is a common, uh, you know, setup today, but back in the day, that was unusual. Mm-hmm. What so, year was that? yeah, pardon just me. Just curious, what year was that? 71. 71, yeah. De- oh, yeah. December, se- December 71. So, um... So there it was in the hallway. So you know, you know, hey bulldog, you've heard it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty a pretty aggressive rhythm sound, you know. But when I got to the solo part, then it was an overdub, and the amp was brought brought into the big room, and um, I was able to turn it up to whatever, you know. And and Jeff was totally accommodating to my ripping because. I mean, he he loved the fact that we knew what we were doing. He was ecstatic. He didn't tell me, but I saw it in his ruddy apple cheek you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, smile. You I mean, he just window. was, huh? You could read it through the window. Oh, I don't know. I was in the same room. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when they realized that we knew what we were doing and we could play, the entire staff was just ecstatic. I mean, we were standing there with them, and they didn't say anything, but you could just read it in their smile. So from that moment on, we knew that we were safe and we could do our thing, and we could fool around. I mean, I did You've Got a Home, for example. That's, you know, one acoustic guitar with slide. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Gene played bass and a vocal, you know. So that's a very stylized piece that was quiet, but then you have... Hey, Bulldog, or, you know, Blind Alley, or any number of stuff, um, even uh, Sound and the Fury, you know, it was a particular, very crisp, uh, crisply recorded song, and then um, uh, Sneaky Pete did the pedal steel overdub in L.A., and Sneaky Pete was someone that I had pursued, you know, in fact, I was thinking about uh, the Flying Burrito Brothers today. I was thinking about how much, um, you know, the the material on the first album, I was trying to emulate those kind of licks because I wanted to know how to play that way. And mm-hmm. I saw Sneaky play with, you know, uh, with, with that band. And I'm like, I got to know that guy. And I pursued him. He was fine. He loved that I went after him. We became really good friends and we would talk about styles and, you know, I would hear him play. I wanted to learn how to play pedal steel, but he discouraged me. Oh. Yeah. By telling me that there's somebody who knew who went crazy trying to learn pedal steel, and he said, you ought to just stick to guitar, you know. So I did. But I, I knew that sound, and I was going after sort of the licks of the Fly Burrito Brothers were doing for, like, Conversation with the Cop or, you know, those type of ballads that, that Nikki brought in, which were uh, a style that I had never played before. I never played that kind of thing. Uh, before in 70, 71. You know, that wasn't the stuff we did. We did the funk, mm-hmm. you know. Walking the dog, if you want to talk walking the dog, we must have played that a thousand times. So that's really in my blood. But nothing like Conversation with a Cop. That wasn't in my lexicon, you know. But I learned. I mean, at a point to learn from everything. Yeah, that one stands, that one stands out um, in a good way. One thing I guess I would say in conclusion is you know, if you want to get in this business, you have, have to have a ferocity of intent. And by that, I mean uh, that you'll go through any hard experience, and there will be a lot. 
So, you know, let the music be your inspiration and your guide. And, uh, you know, write it. Um, it will serve you well. Okay. That's actually better than I could have asked for. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, June. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank you so much for, for giving us your time and the stories uh, reference. Uh, so welcome. Specifically. And, um, yeah, you're a huge inspiration, especially as an adult who has made her life, uh, you know, integrated with music and everything. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for being on here and talking to us. You're so welcome. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, good luck with everything. Um, yeah, thank you. We'll be in touch. All right, thanks. Yeah, we'll okay. send it to you. Bye-bye. Bye, Okay. This has been a Comfort Monk production.